Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing? Welcome to reInvent. Um, hope that the week is great for you guys. Hope that, the, that it's already starting off kind of action-packed. Um, speaking of action-packed, I think we got a really great panel for you today. We're going to dig deep into finding tech talent and focusing in on that next generation, whether that next generation or people who are going to be reskilled are that future um, techie. Uh, we're going to have a ten, about 10 minutes at the end for questions, so please prepare your questions and ask hardballs to this, to this um, illustrious panel. Um, so you know, where, this, where this comes from is uh, AWS, yeah, as, as a number of you have heard, was the fastest company you know, from a cloud computing perspective and from a IT vendor perspective to get to a $10 billion yearly run rate. Happened a few years ago, and the company is still growing in the mid 40 percent, um, with you know, well in the you know, 24, 26 billion dollars in yearly annual revenue. Um, this is creating this gigantic job opportunity. Uh, cloud and distributed computing have been the number one LinkedIn skill for the past three years in a row. Uh, yet, at the same time. Glassdoor ran a study, I think it was about 2015, where they saw companies on their platform between 2009 and 2015, the time to hire actually increased by 80%. Some of it is because we're really screening people for false negatives. Uh, but in truth, we're just not preparing people for this workforce at the pace that we need to be. I think you know, some of the things that our panelists have done are really exciting at creating some changes to it. Um, they're going to introduce some of that need case, you know, why do we need to go deep into providing that tech talent. Um, go into a discussion about some of the things that are already going on and what are the things that we need to look for coming forward. So a uh, quick drop on my panelists. Starting with Scott Rawls. Uh, Scott's the fifth president of Northern Virginia Community College, or NOVA. He is the largest public college or university in the Mid-Atlantic, and it graduates the most IT students, more than any other community college at 90,000. Scott's also a good friend. We've been able to collaborate in depth over the past uh, year as he's announced some really exciting exciting things in, at NOVA. In May of 2016, he was named President Emeritus of the North Carolina Community College System after a previous 20 years at, with roles as a state system president, vice president of economic and workforce development, and president of Craven Community College. In 2017, Scott was named one of D Washington, D.C. region's Power 100 leaders by the Washington Business Journal, and I can guarantee you that that was a well-deserved um, association. Four times in recent years, he's testified to the U.S. Senate and House subcommittees on workforce development, so he's very well tied between that education and workforce path, uh, path. and he currently serves as co-chair for the Policy Leadership Trust for Student Success. Mariam Adil um, is an education specialist at the World Bank, where she has supported more than 25 educational projects across Africa, Middle East, and South Asia. I've gotten to know her recently because we've been doing some stuff with her 
in regards to the projects that she is leading called the Skills for the Future Initiative. Um, she has a real deep focus on results-based financing, public-private partnerships, and from a World Bank perspective, yeah, we, it, it's really amazing to see this new industry to education collaboration. Um, she's also the founder of the social venture GRID, our gaming revolution for inspiring development. Um, and she's mainstreaming mobile games as a medium for behavioral for behavior change. She's also working towards creating context vigilant games. I had to get a definition of what that was. I think you'll have to figure it out later. Um, she has uh, she's presented GRID at multiple high-level forums, including two sessions moderated by President Clinton at the CGI um, University meetings, at the World Bank OLC launch with President Jim Kin, and two TEDx Event. She's also the recipient of the CGIU Honor Roll Alum Award and 2018 Adam Start Entrepreneurship Award, 2015 Andrew E. Rice Award, and so on. Um, just a fantastic background and does some amazing things around Middle East and Northern Africa for us. Ian Wilson, just to my left, joined AWS as our HR leader. Um, our HRVP back in April it was, correct? Um, and he's already introducing amazing initiatives within the company. In this role, he partners with AWS leaders to ensure we have cultural talent, uh, culture, talent, and organizational capability to deliver on our ambitions. Prior, he was the HR leader for Microsoft, Windows, and Device Group, and prior, he was um, Prior to, previously with Microsoft, he was the HR leader for hardware engineering, manufacturing, and supply chain. Um, he also was the director of talent and organization capability for their interactive entertainment business and Xbox. Previously, he was based in uh, Beijing, China, as the director of people and organizational capability, so he brings a multicultural aspect. Um, he holds his bachelor degree from Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations, which I have a fondness of. Um, he currently serves on the board of directors for Kindering, a not-for-profit for early childhood development in Washington, and recently joined the board of Special Olympics for Washington. All right, to the meat of the session, um, I want to turn to Ian first. And this is going to be, again, kind of where, where is this need coming from? When you look at AWS's hiring needs, what are the primary hard skills and also some of those soft skills that we recruit for today um, and you see us over the next five years? Yep, fantastic question. And thanks everyone for your interest in this uh, very important topic. Um, it's kind of alluded to, you know, AWS uh, is growing and has grown. Uh, I think our customer obsession is just leading us on this path to innovate uh, more and more and more. Hopefully you'll hear a lot about that this week. And all of that innovation, all the investments in our infrastructure, of course, have pretty significant demands for talent. You know, already in AWS, we have tens of thousands of employees, and uh, we're going to continue to acquire talent at a pretty healthy rate. Um, one of the things you mentioned in terms of my job, it has a lot to do with the culture of the organization. And at Amazon broadly, and certainly in AWS, uh, a lot of our talent needs do start with how we think about our culture. Um, in Amazon, we have something called our leadership principles. And you know, to your question about specifically, you know, really, where do we feel some of the gaps or challenges 
when we're looking to acquire talent. Um, from a leadership principle perspective, we often see it in a couple of pretty interesting places that I think would be interesting to discuss. Um, one of our leadership principles is think big. And often we see people who have some of the technical skills, but they don't have that ability to dream and to think big. And for something like AWS, or I think for anyone who's working in, in the cloud at all, I think that ability to think big is so incredibly important. Um, one of the other ones that we really focus a lot on, and in some cases it defines whether or not we'll take a bet on talent or take a risk on talent, um, is something we call learn and be curious. And the reason why learn and be curious is just so important these days is because AWS is moving fast, the industry is moving fast, all of you know technology is moving fast, and so many of the skills that we have today, particularly from a technical perspective, are coming obsolete pretty quickly. And so one of the things we really look for are, can people learn? Can they continue to develop and acquire new skills rapidly as technology continues to advance uh, at a pretty fast pace? How about on the hard skills perspective, in terms of like the technical roles that we're, that we're recruiting for, where do you see the most demand happening? Well, certainly, you know, AI and ML right now is, is pretty hot. I think there's a lot of people who are investing in it. We're in, I think, a pretty interesting time with those technologies specifically, where the excitement and the demand is so big and the talent is pretty scarce because it's right. new. And I think more and more different learning institutions are going to invest over time in machine learning and artificial intelligence curriculum to help um, work with that gap. And so sometimes we find ourselves trying to think about people who have good computer science foundational skills, but maybe not those specialized skills, where we're making bets and offering people the opportunity to learn some of those after they join the team. Great. Yeah, from, a, from a machine learning perspective, do you see it just being you know, the PhDs that have been recruited for um, have been recruited for those positions for years, or is there going to be a leveling? Or you know, what are your thoughts? I think we see it across the board. I mean, certainly we see it at that highest level. Some of the deepest thinkers in the space who are frankly doing some applied research as much right. as actually developing services. But certainly we're uh, doing a lot of campus hiring with students uh, with those types of skills. But also what we're finding with some of those newer technologies is it's just as important for some of our solution architects, some of our sales leaders to have competency in those areas. Because again, for us, it's not just about creating interesting technologies, it's actually empowering our customers with those technologies. Yeah. So sometimes those customer-facing roles are the places where uh, we find talent to be in the most demand for some of these newer technology areas. Mm. Great. And how about the way we look at it from, or at least in your role, how do you look at that from the role of recruiting for Amazon versus the role uh, that we play as a, you know, as helping develop talent for yeah, Amazon customer, AWS customers and partners? And it's one of the things that we're starting to put a lot of thought into because as I talk with customers and we get different points of feedback, what we're understanding is as we're creating new technologies, and again, I don't think we're gonna slow down our rate of innovation, our customers are also feeling the need to either revamp their workforce mm -hmm. with new talent or to upgrade the skills of their current workforce. And so it's something that we're thinking a lot about today as we talk to our customers about ways that we might be able to help them um, with that in some pretty meaningful ways. Okay, great. And before I move on to, oh, did you want to add? No, I was just oh. <laughs> um, be, Before I move on to, to Scott, um, the last, uh, talk about inclusion and diversity. You know, obviously it's a hot button top, topic now. 
you know, what, are, what are your thoughts? You know, how does AWS look at this? You know, it certainly um, starts with the basic idea of, of the scarcity of talent. And I think I certainly every day look at it from an Amazon or AWS perspective. But then when I talk to and see what our customers are looking at, and then I think even you know, broadly across the industry, I think the reality is that the demand for technical talent is just far going to outsee the supply as we think about it today. So in some respects, there's an element of culture that it makes sense from a diversity and inclusion perspective. But from a talent perspective, if we don't find real meaningful ways to engage a broader population of society in these technical career opportunities, we're just not going to have the talent that all of us collectively need to continue to advance uh, for our own customers. Right, right. So, so going, Scott, can you share any data that, about the need for tech talent, about the need for the cloud inside Northern Virginia, including what some of those skills that are in the highest demand? Sure. Well, and that's where we started as a community college and as the, uh, one of the largest colleges in the Mid-Atlantic. We, we partnered in 2016 with a group called Northern Virginia Technology Council, which is the largest tech council in the, in the country. And we went out to, uh, to all the tech employers in the D.C. region and asked them, where are their greatest problems? Where are their greatest challenges? Interestingly, I'll just point this out, that they came back. The greatest skill demand that they were having problems with was not a tech skill. It was communications, primarily written communications. Mm -hmm. But that being said, they identified five kind of broad competency areas, and cloud, uh, cloud infrastructure was number four, uh, behind programming, behind programming, software development, cybersecurity, um, data, data science, and then cloud. So 40% of the tech employers in our region said that that was a a big difficulty, and then when you dug down into it deeper, looking at the task that they right. were saying when they said cloud infrastructure, five of those top 10 job tasks specifically spoke to AWS infrastructure. So we were kind of primed that that was a place we needed to be, and then we kind of got involved with AWS, which was very fortuitous for us. Now, two years later, you kind of look at the data, and that's one of the things our college does. We have a whole, we have a unit just focused on workforce analytics, which is kind of unique for us. So we pay close attention to this. So if you look at data in terms of job postings, uh, for this year to date, there have been 98,000 job postings in cloud, cloud computing, cloud infrastructure across the U.S. Um, that's a 34% increase over just last year, wow. uh, and that's eight times more than 2010. So that's a huge number, and, and kind of use that in context. Uh, in 2015, across the U.S., we graduated 68,000 students with bachelor's degrees in computer and information science. We now are, have advertised 30,000 more job postings just in cloud for the year. So that's where you see that gap come in. Has, has that paralleled any other... Yeah. Any other area of concentration that you've been? It's certainly for us, cybersecurity. Cy cybersecurity. Yeah. So, you know, that's sort of what we're looking at in the context of we just, you know, with AWS partnerships, started the, the cloud degree. Uh, interestingly, our first year numbers were the same for cyber and cloud. Uh, we have 46 students enrolled in a first semester this year. So, when we started cybersecurity, just a little over four years ago, we had just 45, 46 students. Today we have 1,500 students. Yeah. So as long as that job demand is there and as long as our students see that way of breaking into that area, it's going to mushroom, and yeah. we're trying to prepare for that. Scott's, Scott's had this amazing leadership within the Northern Virginia community um, area region for a while. I, I know there's some people who are here from California, and we actually partnered 
with Santa Monica College um, a few years back, and they built a curriculum, a cloud computing certificate. And they went last year, I think it was somewhere around 70, 80 people that registered um, for those courses there last year, and that mushroomed to 325 you know, within a year in addition to you know, all these other colleges. So it, we've, we've seen that demand grow. What, what role do you see Northern Virginia Community College playing in filling those roles? Um, and you know, is it you know, all about, is it about the extension, the matriculation to four years? Is it about you know, growth directly into industry jobs? Well, it's both. And, you know, and for instance, with our partnership with George Mason, we work to make sure that our students could then move forward and complete a four-year degree so they can have progression, career progression in that regard. But I think the, the biggest role for an institution like ours, which is an open access institution, and by that I mean we serve the top 100%. You know, we're not a selective institution in that regard. But in that sense, what we can do is, is what I think Ian was talking about, is diversification. And I think that's the greatest challenge to getting to those numbers. I just throw out a few other st statistics, but in most recent year, you know, if you look at the computer, computing information science graduates, only 19% were female. You're never going to get to these numbers unless you, you know, unless that number moves. You've seen a decline over the past 10 years in the percentage of Latino and African American females uh, graduating computer science programs. You're gonna, we have to look to how we broaden yeah. and reach populations, and particularly getting into lower income populations, which turn to colleges like ours with the decline of state funding for, for higher ed. Great. Um, Miriam, you're gonna take a whole different perspective with the work that you do, you know, being in hard hit regions in the Middle East and, and Northern Africa and dealing with refugee populations. Um, yeah, I hate to put you on the spot, but make the case for why tech companies need to be playing a role in your region and preparing the, the people that you serve for that future workforce. Wow, okay, <laughs> yeah, so Ken, I mean, I think when we talk about Middle East and Northern Africa, we're talking about 22 countries, right? And, and this is all the way from, from your wealthier Gulf countries, the Saudi and Bahrain and, I mean, the, right. and the Qatar and uh, UAE, all the way down to, to your lower middle, middle income and lower middle income countries and, and some very small countries like Djibouti and Egypt, and, I mean, some bigger ones, Egypt and Jordan. And I mean, you know, the spectrum is just huge. And, and in the region, it's, it's one of those regions that has the largest population of youth. Right? And 28.6% of that youth is unemployed. So this really comes, the skill shortage really becomes the core of economic, political, social, everything stability. Like if, if, if that's what's driving unemployment, all of a sudden becomes everyone's problem. And that's why it's, it's also a policymaker's problem. So one of the things that, that we've been looking at, I mean, the, the World Bank has a, a WDR, a World Development Report, each year. The last year's report was on education. This year's report was on the changing nature of work, right? So, so there's a very strong realization that the future of work with the demands, the skill requirements for the future of work, the current education systems can just not keep pace with it. I mean, from what we're hearing, it's such an innovative thing to do in the, in the States, but just imagine, I mean, in the, in the countries that we're working with, it's definitely a huge skills gap. And that's something that we're trying to target. And, and again, this um, 
particularly in, in MENA, given the instability, given the fact that there's, it has the largest refugee population right now. For us, it's becoming, like when, when, when we think about refugees, you, you imagine it as the biggest challenge, but actually we're, we're seeing our um, digital skills as a huge opportunity because the refugees don't have access to the brick and mortar infrastructure that you mostly have where in the education systems. Here all you have is, 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 a, is a youth who has his phone, who's connected to the internet, right. but is living in a refugee camp. And how do you reach that population, both in terms of education opportunities, but also employment opportunities? Because it doesn't matter where they, they're sitting as long as they have the skills to contribute. And we believe that cloud computing is just, just that, that a bit of a magic key that way. So we're thinking big and, and, and we're really trying to, to move in that direction. And to, so for us, yes, it's, it's economic, it's political, and it's social. You, you also, I, I remember you threw me some stats around the growth in cloud traffic. I think you, Yes, I have those numbers. <laughs> it's like it, it, it actually these were numbers that really surprised us. Um, the MENA region is expected to grow eight folds in terms of cl cloud cloud traffic, all the way from 31 exabyte in 2013 to 262 exabyte in 2018, and the public cloud services market is going to be 1.2 billion in 2018. So. The region is hungry. I mean, it's, it's moving towards the cloud without knowing that it needs the cloud. It needs to build skills for it. So, so that, that linkage is what we're trying to look towards. I think this also speaks to the, the opportunity to do leapfrog uh, play things there. I, if the, the infrastructure may not be there, and yet you have a chance to grow on top of that. Exactly. Um, Scott, I, I, we met again, I think it was early 2018 or late 2017, um, and you, I think, declared that you were gonna launch the Cloud Associate degree in May of 2018. I will tell you, and I told people internally, that that absolutely blew me away, because um, we're so used to education moving mm -hmm. at a slow pace, and you got them to go fast. How did you do that? And, and then also you know, talk about why this collaboration with AWS on, on this stuff. Well, as I said, in 2016, we, we, you know, we kind of did the data. And so we were primed for that opportunity. So when that was presented to us, and you know, we did a couple of things in that year. One, we started the, uh, we started the first East Coast AWS apprenticeship program, which was a big effort, and then the degree, and in both cases, when AWS said, could, could you, you? Could you, yeah, give them a little background on the program? Okay, yeah, the program. apprenticeship kind of came a little earlier. Um, we were uh, reached out to in terms of starting a, a tech apprenticeship with uh, veterans. Uh, it was a difficult uh, area because it was looking at getting veterans that already had IT, computer science, four-year degrees, and I think it was A-plus certification. Right. So it was a little bit like finding unicorns. But we, um, we, you know, we just had our first graduation last week, sure. but there's 150 in the pipeline. We see that growing to 300. Now it's creating a regional tech apprenticeship program. And you know, AWS said, can you do this? Just like you said, can, could you do a degree? And we said, heck yeah. Now we had no idea what that meant. <laughs> we just said, that's our opportunity. That's our door. Let's run through it. I think the biggest, you know, 
thinking about the, the Amazon leadership principles we were talking earlier. Ken actually watches movies and then relates them to the Amazon <laughs> leadership principles. I didn't know that. But, um, Super geek. But I think the, you know, just the, the biggest difference I see from my industry and what you're doing is you know, one of those leadership principles is a bias for action. I think too often in academia we have a bias for inertia. Mm-hmm. And you know, inertia is okay if you've got brand, if you've got, you know, if, you're, if you've got a selectivity, like a 6% selectivity, and you know, people don't worry about that as much. A place like Nova, Nova's the 14th largest college in the United States right now, and I bet nobody in this room's ever heard of Nova until you walked into this. So our students don't go out there, you know, saying, I graduated from Nova. What they have to go out there and be able to do is to show what they can do. They have to be able to demonstrate it, and that's why I think an institution like ours has to have even more a bias for action than if you had brand and were 200 years old and a selectivity of less than 10 percent. How do you how do you push you know, as a leader? How do you push the institution? Is it easy? I'm the boss. I come in. And it is, no, that, I mandate. Academia or? doesn't work there, and my institution doesn't work that way either. But I, you know, one of the things that I think one of the things that I've always use the phrase data bombs. Every once in a while you just gotta throw a data bomb out there and say, what are you, you know, well what about this? So if you throw a data bomb out there and say, okay, here's what our region is the second highest concentration of you know tech workers in the country. And here's what those jobs are and cloud is going like this and Amazon is interested in partnering with us, what would you guys like to do? You know, that's sort of the question. And our college, you know, is a, is a gritty, roll up your sleeves, get it done type college, and that's what we did, I think. And it wasn't, it wasn't just a bias of action for me, it was, you know, I think a collective push in that regard. Right, right, and you do have an, a fantastic team around you, including, I think, in that key workforce development a office, our personnel within, within your organization. Well, one thing we've done, just quickly, I don't mention is that we're trying to set ourselves up for the future as well. So, you know, trying to be different in that regard. We have six very big campuses, all based on geography. So we've created, and each has a provost. We create a seventh provost just to focus on IT and engineering tech. And that's now referred to as our cloud campus because unlike the provosts that have to worry about parking and all kinds of those kinds of geographical issues, we want that provost just to focus on curriculum, taking it apart, putting it back together, and interacting with our employers. They have to spend as much time on that as someone who had a big geography footprint would have to spend on those kind of campus type activities. It's kind of like yeah, moving towards that agile production of curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, it, from your vantage point, what's working in higher ed and what, what isn't to address these needs? Well, I think if you look at the last 15 years, what's challenging with higher ed, which I think is a problem for the tech community, is becoming increasingly economic segmented. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just use it as an example. If you take the Ivy Pluses, um, 15% of the students in the Ivy Pluses being the Ivy Leagues plus, like, the Dukes, the others of the world, um, Georgetowns, they are, you know, they have 15% of their students coming from the top 1% of economic uh, families and 13% from the bottom 50%. You're missing a huge talent pool, which because of the decline in state funding for public education, higher ed in the last 15 years, more of those students are coming to institutions like ours. So there's this huge talent pool of amazing students 
who were who were at our institution. I was meeting with one last week. Um, you're, you, when you were talking, it kind of reminded me of this. Who's a student who you know? And I, my question to him was, Why are you not at MIT right now? Why are you at Nova? He, he was he's a student government leader. He's he's so far out there on tech. And his answer was, Well, my family was homeless when I was in the twelfth grade. Mm -hmm. My grades weren't that good. That's a pretty good reason. But that's the kind of students you're going to find that you're going to miss if you don't pay attention to institutions like ours. Right. Um, what are your perspectives, by the way, on this? Like, you know, is higher ed aligned, you know, in general to uh, to tech industry needs, or is it moving at the pace that we we need it to? I mean, I mean, just very quickly, just touching on that as well, um, Ken. I mean, what Scott is saying is this lost opportunity, and, and again, the idea of human capital is, is immensely important because this digital skills shortage will end up in a loss of productivity, I mean, in, in the labor market. So it is a very economic loss that we're looking at. It is a social and political loss. And I think higher education itself, if we look at the regions where we were, itself is considered elitist, right? I mean, that in, on its yeah. own, like the people who make right. it to higher education, there's still a large population that doesn't even make it that far. So for us, it's also a little bit thinking of what happens a little bit before, before yeah. you know, it's like, I mean, more at the secondary level and even a little right. bit at the post. That's where the pipeline starts. Exactly. You've got to think in that regard, yeah. Exactly, and for us, that's becoming a very important conversation to have is, all right, let's make sure that the higher education catches up, but then it doesn't move that fast, and then the, then the pipeline gap becomes really big. So it is really a, a holistic view that right. you have to take of the problem. And we kind of got to do these things at the same time, don't mm -hmm. we? No, that's right. And from our perspective, we look at both these issues. I think, you know, traditionally, I think higher education served a purpose to transfer scarce knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Knowledge was scarce. You went to the institutions to get that knowledge. I think now we're in a world where knowledge is ubiquitous, right? And to your point, um, the, some of these learning institutions aren't nearly addressing the scope and scale of the talent demand that's going to be out there in the industry. Mm -hmm. At best, some higher education institutions do a nice job of curating talent pipelines, right? They kind of filter out talent and say, okay, here, here's this talent that you need. Um, but for us, we've, we've shifted our strategy significantly. We no longer say, let's just go to the top 10 institutions around the world. We've broadened that funnel significantly where we go to over 2,000 secondary or higher education learning right. institutions, number one. But then as Scott said, we're doing a lot more to tap into what we call non-traditional uh, talent pipelines, uh, such as the military, such as people who are returning to the workforce who need different types of skills. And so um, as an as a acquirer and a user of talent, uh, we are shifting radically our overall talent strategies in response to some of the changes that are happening in secondary education, but also, we are starting to take a much longer term point of view of not only the talent that means for our organization, but for the industry. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to really understand our willingness to go way further back into the education process. And I, I have a joke with my team where I say, I don't care if we have to go back to eighth grade. <laughs> Maybe we have to go back to third grade. Yeah. Right? Um, but we're no longer just sort of saying we are only responsible at this stage of the pipeline. We're really opening ourselves up to look back as far as we yes. need to. Speaking of that, I had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago with a uh, really fascinating guy named Charles Isbell, who is, the, I think, one of the main AI machine learning instructors at Georgia Tech. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And he was talking about what they were looking at, and as they're looking at really about this notion of pipeline, you, in Georgia they're talking about you have to go back and really focus on, and they said sort of their metric that they have to focus on is how many students can they get through intermediate algebra by the eighth grade, yeah. because mm -hmm. that's what's going to determine, particularly mm -hmm. for those computational-focused computer science degrees, you've got to hit that mark based on what they've seen to do that. Well, that means you've got to really back up and yeah. think differently. Too often when we talk about pipeline, you know, we kind of gild the golden spigot rather than starting back there. And, and that's where you're really going to have to focus, particularly as we get into machine learning and AI and those types of computational-focused areas. Yeah. Well, let, let's reverse it for a sec, because I, I totally, you know, get and understand that notion of the, that long-term pipeline. And absolutely, if we don't solve that, we're, we're mucking it up for these future <laughs> generations and we're teaching them the wrong math and so on. But let's talk about reskilling for a sec, because mm -hmm. all of these guys are going to need, are you know, have that on their docket. You know, how do you reskill your your workforce? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what is the role? Is it you know should higher education be playing a role? Is it you know, non traditional institutions, community colleges, online? Um, are we are companies looking at the reskilling aspect? Well. I think we all certainly have a, a key part to play. And again, we, we deal with this with our own team where, uh, again, we're innovating at such a faster rate, even some of our own employees can't keep up with all of the latest stuff that we're innovating on behalf of customers for. It's quite, a, quite an interesting thing. We certainly hear this uh, from our customers as well. So we are right now looking at some pretty disruptive approaches to learning. Um, they go away from this idea of knowledge being static, you acquire it, you have it, to this yeah. idea of this is a very dynamic thing. And every day I need to understand what is the most relevant thing for me to know right now? Where is that information coming from? How do I get it in a friction-free uh, way as possible? And rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a lot of things in our company to, to think about some of those things. I think one of the demands we have on our higher education partners is um, more than anything, we need talent that knows how to learn and knows how to continuously learn. And so I think it's becoming more and more important through secondary education, through primary education, to teach the ability to learn as opposed to to teach knowledge. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, Ken, one of the things, just, just like what, when Ian was talking, it, it blew my mind when I heard that most online courses only have a 5% completion rate. Right? So the motivation of the learner becomes immensely important because it's not just about having the tool in front of you, it's about being motivated and seeing that reward to learning as a very concrete thing in front of you. A lot of learners understand that, hey, there's, there's these MOOCs, there's all these, you know, I mean, you have your edX and you have your Khan Academy and you have your, I mean, all your MOOCs, but really, what do I grasp, and where is my learning path, and where does it take me? I think that clarity Absolutely. is what will drive that motivation, even in terms of reskilling. It's like, I want this promotion. Where does it get me? You yeah. know what I'm saying? On, the, on that end, we, we actually ran a quick trial around that with, with military veterans to say, okay, if you, you finish content, this was Pathways on... AWS Educate, we would guarantee you a resume review or phone screen. And we found that the persistence of people and their ability to completing increased 10x because you have that, that carry, a clear, yeah. Yeah, a clear antidote. Um, Scott, when you look at a note, 
What do you look at with your relationship to both George Mason and also to Nova as a direct pipeline for companies like AWS, Booz, Booz Allen, Northrop, and so on? Well, I think you know, what we try to start with is the goals of our students. And one of the things we know is you know, we're the biggest college in our region of the country, but no, none of the, our students as middle schoolers said, someday I'm going to go to Nova. Mm -hmm. But they come to us to go through us to get to one of two places, and that's to get to the university or to get to uh, a, an opportunity in an industry like Amazon, or really to both. You know, but that's their goal set. So we don't even measure how many associate, that's not, our primary measure is what we call an economic mobility index. How many of our students within six years have either got a bachelor's degree or they have some form of credential for us and are making two thirds of what is um, the minimum threshold or two thirds of the medium for middle class in our region. That's our goal. And if we can achieve that, we're achieving our students' goals. But what that means then, for an institution like ours is we have to practice extreme partnering. So we try to be extreme partners with our universities, uh, George Mason, George Washington, those types of institutions, and extreme partners with our industries like Amazon, like Northrop Grumman, like Micron, and others that are the major employers in our region. Great. Uh, so reflecting a quick bit on HQ2, so we just now announced it in you know, the Crystal City or National Landing. Um, but it's in your backyard in Long Island, say, in New York. Um, we assume that this is going to create a massive influx of new jobs for you know, Amazon the region. What are some of the think big ideas that we should be doing in the metro DC area? Well, I think it'll be, uh, I think we have to think in the context of a, a phrase we use in Northern Virginia is our tech talent pipeline. Mm -hmm. And I really think that pipeline has to think about, so how do you get the students who are eventually going to have masters in computer science uh, very computational focused, you know, very math focused, but to do that, we have to really start earlier to create that pipeline. And it's going to take a, uh, you know, not just the degrees at the end, but it's going to take the pipeline at the beginning. And we're gonna have to figure out, institutions like ours, institutions like George Mason that have such scale are going to be so important in that regard, as well as the public schools. So for instance, one of the things I'm interested, I'm very excited about with the cloud program, is we just received an NSF grant with Columbus State Community College, a great innovative community college, to take cloud into the high schools through a cloud literacy yeah, institute, yeah. summer school. So that's gonna be a focus for NOVA, and I think the more we can take it earlier, as Ian was saying, and prime the pump and help students be prepared for those opportunities, that's gonna benefit, and totally. Amazon HQ2 is gonna drive even more of that need. Yeah, I think you know, we'll be looking for more employers in that local area to partner mm -hmm. you know, with us on you know, apprenticeships, guaranteeing jobs, doing you know, internships, and so on. Um, Maria, talk about the work that AWS Educate did in the Philippines. Um, what you or you know, Safa, your colleagues saw there, what, what convinced the World Bank to do something more in the move to Egypt and then, you know, the future. Yeah, um, so again, I think one, one thing that's very interesting in the tech space is usually, you know, when you see a particular region do, do a, a big flagship project or something, 
it's very hard to pick it up and bring it to, to another region. I mean, the East Asia region and the MENA region are two very, right. I mean, there's, there's very big differences. And, and I, when I talked to the colleague, Shang, who was responsible for, I mean, who, who kind of um, was leading the charge on, on the East Asia one, my question was, I was like, what do you need to make this happen in Egypt? Like, if I was going to pick this up and bring it to Egypt, because I think the idea, the scale of it, the exposure of it, it was just so exciting. I was like, what do you need? And she's like, I need internet. I mean, that's it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, we're talking. Let's, let's think about this. And I, for us, the biggest appeal was it's, 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 we got, I mean, the idea was we get these students, vocational, TVET college students that are enrolled in computer science projects. We get them, we put them in a room for two days and we give them training and then introduce them to the educate uh, right. the uh, program. To me, the biggest benefit that came out of that was that exposure of understanding why the skill would be important. I don't think you can put them in a room for two days and have them cloud certified, you know, but I do think that it was something that exposure, that learning part, that, that ability to envision where this could take you, that was extremely important. And Ken, we were dealing, when, when we talk about diversity, we were dealing with the population, 30% of computer science students came into that room without an email address. They could not register. Yeah. They were all on Facebook from their phone numbers, but they didn't have email addresses. So when we talk about digital skills, um, you know, it's this, it's this um, big black box, and when you start opening it up, there's, there's a lot to it. And I think that to us it was very interesting to start unpacking some of that and to start giving that exposure and to start creating it. Two things that were extremely interesting to me in that AWS model was also the focus on trained teachers, educators, yeah. immensely important. It's you cannot, technology cannot be done without the teachers being a part of that movement. Digital skills cannot be made. And the other was the job fair. And I think that was also extremely interesting for us to see was the connection of Here's, here's your skills, and then here are the opportunities right. that are right there. And, and was that, and to be honest, we're, we're still trying to figure out all of you know, what, what works and what doesn't out of this. Um, so is the job fair tied to that? Is that just placing a job in front of people, and now they see a job and see that opportunity, or is that actually that they have a chance to get that job after? Because yeah, it's only a few days yeah. worth yeah. of knowledge. That, and so we actually, um, I mean, it was a time crunch, and again, because we were just starting, we actually weren't able to replicate the job fair angle of it, but we do think that it was the idea of introducing the possibilities and the opportunities. And another thing that's very important is, I think, uh, at least the students we interacted with, they expected to go on LinkedIn and see cloud computing expert and then apply to it, but... Cloud computing, like digital skills are at the basis of so many other jobs, right? I mean, you see that feed yeah. into all these other jobs. And I think their ability to understand that this is about the internet, that this is about data, that this is about security, I think that was really important in terms of understanding what, why they should be building these skills. You know, maintaining that notion of the opportunity is so important. I've seen over my career with community college students, and our, our students are primarily working students who are older. And a lot of times they're underestimated for their savviness about opportunities. So I have seen programs be started that, uh, you can see this sometimes with like the turbine uh, windmill programs and things, mm -hmm. where a lot of interest up front, no jobs, and then they just 
fall apart. And sometimes I've seen industries that cycle so much. They have a, a two-year interest, and then they kind of go away for a few years. And then they come back in three years when the things are cycling up. And students have a, have a memory. You know, right. they have a memory about the fact that, no, that started one time and it's not there. And you'll see if you're trying to restart a program, how difficult that is. So maintaining that opportunity, just having the opportunity to be interviewed and knowing that someone like you received a, a chance, that will keep the pipeline moving. But if you don't have that, you know, it'll dry up quickly. Right. Now, one of the things I'd say, I think I shared this with you when I joined the team several months ago, and I first, I, I knew about AWS Educate from the external point of view, but to really understand it more internally, it's one of the most inspiring things I've come across in quite some time. And I think one of the things I love about it is that it's such a, a, a gorgeous open invitation to mm -hmm. so many people. And so today we say anyone with a .edu email address can get you know, on AWS Educate. And you had me thinking real time about maybe needs to be yet even more of an open invitation. I think that's something we can do. But to your point, Scott, the piece that I think we collectively want to continue to push on is, is what is the outcome? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, in Amazon, one of the things we say is we, we just don't like best intentions, right? Good intentions no, right. are not something that we feel really good about. We think about outcomes. And I think there's something to keep students and other interested talent motivated through the process, to keep them hungry to acquire right. a new talent and stay on top of it may have to do with what is the expected outcome of the process, mm -hmm. and I think yeah. we have some opportunity there. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, again, like we always say, we're, we're day one at this stuff, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, in the essence, we, we want to place people into jobs. We want to give them that, that true capital. Um, and, and by the way, it's these guys that are doing the cool stuff. You know, we're yeah, just, but I mean, we're I'll tell you so short. I mean, the thing yeah. that's allowed us to move fast has been educate. Exactly. Because, you know, you can't, you couldn't have, you, we would not have been able to do what we've been able to do had there not been that content mm -hmm. that was already there. So, you know, the predisposition to work with an institution like ours, to, move, to work with us, but to have that support for content allowed us to move fast in a way that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. Right. To take attention off of that. Um, talk, talk to me about the, so there were some really cool photos of some of the, of some of the girls and women at the, the Cairo event. Um, tell me about that. Tell me about the impact. I'm also interested, like, you know, what motivated them and why are they not coming to other, you know, why, well, you know, whatever, you know, societal stuff mm -hmm. that's stopping them from being as deeply involved in technology jobs. I mean, Ken, to me, it was a surprise. I, I remember I showed up. Um, I mean, it was, it was right around, um, so it's, it's a Muslim country, and it was right um, on the Monday after, so it was like, like today, it was like the Monday after Thanksgiving, right? And I mean, it was just like, um, so it was Eid, and it was the Monday after Eid, and we just did not expect, I mean, with students, you know, having the kind of, we didn't have enough time, we just did not expect a turnout. So the, the, the event was supposed to start at 9 a.m., and I showed up at the, at the hall at 7 a.m. just to make sure things were good, and there were lines. And there were lines of girls with parents, and these parents were asking me how they can sit in the hotel lobby while their girls were going to sit in this hall and attend this training. And so, so they, they, they're trying to, to deal with their cultural, like they, they, they don't want to just let them off. They, they, they're, they're worried about security. They're worried about them sitting on the same table with other boys. They're worried about all of that. But then they also, they see the opportunity. And I think um, 
because this was like we we our targeting was to low income uh, areas around Cairo, so it was definitely the the underserved, and I think that word I mean the the, the flip side of the coin is the hunger. And the hunger that we saw in that room and the amount of people actually that came up to, we were, we were so blessed that your team, you, you were able to mobilize Arabic speaking trainers, which, which to me was a huge opportunity because it's very interesting because their browsers were, was able to, to translate everything on the internet into Arabic, but the fact that we could communicate them with them in Arabic was, was immensely important. And we had girls walking up to the trainers saying, what do I do to get a job at AWS? Yeah. And that, that, that kind of ambition is, is what, was, what was really, really inspiring. That's awesome. If there's one thing like that I've you know, learned over this journey, uh, one, there is a power of the brand, right? And so with you know, Amazon and AWS, there's a, there's a responsibility, I think, that we have given this great, you know, this great growth to yeah, act as an attractor. But, but the other thing is we constantly, I think this is you know, one endemic problem of education is it's constantly saying low expectations. Mm -hmm. And it's not saying out that, that, ex, that great opportunity. When you throw these great opportunities in front of you know, women and girls in, you know, in Cairo and community colleges and non-traditional perspective, you're, you're going to win. Um, I just think we need to you know, start exploiting that more often. Yeah. I think we do, and just to add on that real quick, you know, often in different organizations, people talk about the term DNI, which stands for diversity and inclusion. And I think for us, you know, even internally, we're flipping it to say it's inclusion and diversity, because mm -hmm. I think inclusion is the thing that begets sort of the flywheel of how we can really come together in different ways. And to me, the essence of inclusion isn't rejecting the ideas that are different than yours, it's about being curious about them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so what I love as I hear your story was about embracing some of the things about that culture and finding a way to make it work as opposed yeah. to coming in and try to change it, yeah. right? I love how that works. And I do think awesome. that is probably one of the greatest opportunity that I think the cloud can offer, but also companies like AWS and so many of the other companies that um, are in the industry uh, to really come together in a new way. Fantastic. All right, before I turn it back to the crowd, because I want to leave some room for questions, and I, I love the, these topics, um, quick think big section, uh, starting with Ian. Um, as an employer, what employment practices for all of us, Amazon, customers, partners, people who are coming to reInvent, really need to evolve you know, in order to you know, make way for the pipelines that, that Scott and Mariam are talking about? A lot, a lot. I think um, when you look at uh, employment today, the way that any one of us end up working with an organization in any, any kind, so much of uh, employment practices really around the world were defined in the Industrial Revolution. Um, in the United States or most of the developed Western world, like literally the Industrial Revolution of the late 19th century, early 20th century, uh, some of the early labor movement, um, some of those practices of you know, manufacturing environments created so many of the practices that continue to define the employment relationship that I might have with my employer. And it seems kind of crazy, right? Because we're not in the Industrial Revolution anymore. We're, we're maybe two, maybe three generations beyond that era, but so many of the employment practices are just stuck there. And I think someone's gonna have to step forward and try to come up with 
a new way for individuals to get together to do work that aren't defined by something that happened over 100 years ago. And one of my favorite things is, um, you know, we did some work where you go into a higher education learning institution and you find out that um, faculty are putting together young learners into cohorts. And in one institution in particular, they took uh, five students, put them in a cohort their sophomore year of a four-year program, and these students worked together in a cohort through their sophomore, through their junior, through their senior year. Yeah. These individuals had learned the thing that we care most about at work, which is how do you work together, together as a team. Yeah, yeah. But what I had to do as an employer is I had to go in and rip that apart because I had to hire individual humans. I couldn't hire a team. But there's so That's many things call. like that yeah. where I think even the humans have changed the way that they work and the way they communicate, and yet they're all stuck in this old traditional employment paradigms that, that have, again, from a bygone era. That's awesome. Um, love that. And we probably quote you on that one. Um, how do we, uh, Miriam, how do we change the game in developing countries, and what's AWS's role? I mean, I think, um, I think Ken, the fact that we're even talking about the developing country today. Like, I mean, the fact that this panel even includes that perspective is so important because I think being able to acknowledge that opportunity and being able to also recognize it as a huge loss if we're not able to, to, to move now. You know, so at the World Bank, I mean, we, we always say it's, it's like the elephant. I mean, it doesn't move, but when it moves, it shakes. So, so I think we're ready to shake, and, and, and we're ready to shake with bigger players. I mean, Amazon, the World Bank, these are big names, and um, the bank strategy now is build broker boost, right? So, so we want to broker those partnerships. We want to bring that learning exchange. We want to bring that ability to say, the global educate, all you need is an email address. Like, I mean, there is nothing that's stopping a person who's sitting in Cairo or Saudi from, from being able to benefit from these, you know? And, and I think that being able to bring that language, bring that context, you know, into the content that we create is so important because, you know, I mean, then we're just, we're just losing out in such a huge fraction of people. So I think when you say think big, I mean, there's the three Bs of the bank, and I think that's the fourth B, you know what I'm saying, is build broker boost, but do it in a big way. Big. Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, and Scott, yeah, lastly, be a futurist. Give me your view on higher ed, on K-12. How does education change, sort itself out? How do we put this work on steroids? Well, I think we need, uh, one thing I would say is we need more inter-institutional stackability is a phrase or, or um, connectivity. So in other words, rather than just having a community college start a cloud degree, we need to make sure that that cloud degree can be started in high school and driven down there to prompt that interest. We need to make sure that if you come into an apprenticeship program and as a veteran, you can carry credit into that degree. We need to make sure that if you then are employed, you can keep moving forward. Once you finish that two-year degree, can you carry it forward to a four-year institution and get that four-year degree? And can you keep moving forward? And that requires a lot of, uh, you know, institutional operability, the kind of things that technology sector has been able to do, but academia is still struggling with. Gotcha. All right, some great thoughts from the panel. Would love to turn it over to you guys. Um, we've got about nine minutes left, and want to see if you guys have any questions you'd like to, you'd like to throw to the panelists' way. Yes.
graduated computer science students that don't have an AWS account, that should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> we agree. <laughs> Check. <laughs> to the help I need from AWS. So I signed yeah. up for Academy, and I got certified, and now I'm trying to present that to the professors, and they don't know what the hell it is. Um, and then I tried to use AWS Educate, and that's a separate team, that has a separate learning management system, and it's almost like they're trying to compete for Amazon lists, which is frustrating. <laughs> Yeah. You get you got awesome it. you are. But, yeah. I want you to help extend it. But I would really love to yeah. hear uh, how you think I can get in front of the professors and convince them that the guy from IT has something that they really need to teach our students because I need to hire them. Yeah. Um, so sometimes we got to get out of our own way. Like I say, this is. Uh, <laughs> There was a principle that started in Amazon. Actually, it's, it kind of got blended into, I think, learn and be curious, which vocally self-critical. So I will be vocally self-critical on this stage and say there, there's things that we have to get out of our way. We should be meshing those learning management systems mm -hmm. together. Right now, so I'm not going to say which one we have, but we need, to be, we need to be doing that. We need to make it easier. We need to be out in front of your teachers providing that professional development instruction with no obstacles. Um, and we are talking with, so we, we definitely partner in depth with the academy team, but we've got to partner better um, so that it's a streamlined path. Um, what, what I can say to you, my email address is you know, Ken Eisner without the R at Amazon.com. That's what happens when your boss is on vacation when you get hired. <laughs> um, but uh, shoot me a note, and we'll make sure that we get the right things set up. We got so much going on in California right now. We want to make sure that we get it right. But we see, I mean, we see Amazon and AWS kind of doing that to a certain because we work with the academy mostly on the apprenticeship program right. and educate mostly on the degree area. And over the years, you know, you've kind of come together in that regard. Academy's been focused right. on certifications and hiring, educate more on the education pipeline. And I think I think you've kind of brought that And we want to more. blend in you know, access to certifications inside mm -hmm. the curriculum so it's a natural mm -hmm. progression. Mm -hmm. But yes, um, we are improving, we need to get better, and we're going to address your need. <laughs> Others? Uh, Mr. Frazier. You got, you got to leave this one. Well, away. I just think there's this challenging balance that we run with that is, you know, for us, we have to think about the practical side of it, but because that's how our students are going to get employed. But on the other side, we don't want to just make degrees that are just teaching tools piled up against each other. So, you know, I think it's, 
how do, there's got to be ways we can use these practical areas in a way that teaches the pr underlying principles better. And I don't think we spend enough time thinking about that. I think that's the challenges we've run into with math oftentimes. We still teach math in a very theoretical calculus approach that pulls students away. But you could, we can still pick up the right math skills and be more math focused with a practicality tied to it. And I, and I think that's where we've got to get to. I, I do think, too, when we're talking about innovations, we have to think about innovations at scale. Mm -hmm. Innovation, innovating at a boutique level yeah. and lots of resources is really easy. Innovating at scale is very difficult. Yeah. Here's the one thing you said, you know, the idea of, of managing the 60-year the curriculum. I think it's an interesting idea, but I think the reality is that the, this, the, the, the world's moving faster, the rate of change is moving faster, and I think technology is only, only going to make it more so. And so I think the idea of just trying to think about something over such a long horizon is going to be, is really challenging to even think about conceptually what that would be. I don't even know if I could put any money on, because we're in Vegas, put any money on. <laughs> you can put like, money on uh, A 10-year curriculum, right, just because things are moving so in, incredibly but fast. But you know, in that regard, it's not so much about what is the curriculum, it's about the organization to mm -hmm. allow Platform for that for to happen. Um, and I think that's where institutions have to think a little differently. Yeah. Yeah, I see, like, I mean, HBS, Harvard have such a, you know, important potential role. You know, if the, the, not the brand, the, you know, pedagogy, the experience, um, and so on. If that contribution back into sort of, you know, a semi-OER type movement, um, I think can be really powerful and also help create that vision of Scott's, you know, continuous An open system student. OER movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One question, are money Yeah, when you say continuing education and curriculum in non-academic, what you mean is degree programs and non-degree. And I think that's where, I, I'll tell you what we did, is we, we kind of blew that up, and so we have a VP of workforce, and yeah. we said your role is not just to go out and sell stuff, it's to kind of focus on that whole workforce engagement. And he sits right across from our provost for IT and engineering tech, and in between them are our data analysts. And so it's trying to break apart those silos, and I think that's what you have to do. But I do think is thinking differently about continuing education because whether you're at Harvard Business School or Wake Tech, a lot of times that's a whole forgotten part of the yeah. institution. And that's, that's where I think the real missing piece is for this kind of 60-year curriculum that you're talking Scott, about. Scott, wouldn't you say sort of in that, in that next you know, future vision of education, isn't this all modular where mm -hmm. that it's all one you know, long pathway with lots of branches that you can come in yeah. and out you know, of? It's the interesting part of community colleges, too, because we've often had this continuing education. So when you look at our IT, like our cyber program, our biotech, our healthcare programs, we have so many students that already have four-year degrees, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not that their four-year degree is meaningless. They need that degree to progress, to get their job, but they need, a, they need a set of skills to get their foot in the door, and so they come to us as almost like a finishing school, and too much within the academic world, we think about, well, you go to this institution or that institution, and then when you're through, you're finished, and that's just not the way it works. Yeah. 
Gotcha. All right. So I know the guy with the robe's going to pull me off in a sec. Um, but I, I thank you all for coming to this session. Have a wonderful reInvent. Uh, we'll be around for a few minutes to take questions. But again, thank you so much. Thank you.